Hey, everybody, thanks so much to Graham for reading our gospel today. So what, Tom Brady, uh, now of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, has won, what, seven Super Bowls at this point? There is some truth to the fact that you can't win until you know how to win. And once you know how to win, you have a tendency to keep winning. Probably also explains how LeBron James got to eight straight NBA finals in, what, nine in, in 10 years. Uh, once you know how to do it, you can do it again, which is why our Milwaukee Bucks are maybe having a bit of a problem at the moment. They are a great team, but they don't know how to win yet. And whether you'll see this maybe after that game or before the seventh game, we'll see if they pull it off uh, this particular weekend. But it's just one example about how certain crossings in life from being a good team to a championship game uh, can be kind of a rough crossing. There are a lot of rough crossings in life, correct? So let's think of a couple of other examples of rough crossings in life. Uh, I would imagine labor and delivery is always kind of a rough crossing. Uh, teaching your dog, as long as this is pet blessing weekend, teaching your dog not to bolt is kind of a rough crossing. We're, we're dog grandparents right now for one of our sons, and we brought his dog home the other night. The first thing it did was bolt, but it's still kind of a puppy. He's learning. It's a rough crossing. Uh, serious things can be rough crossings. It's Juneteenth weekend. Uh, just imagine an Emancipation Proclamation two years till the end of our Civil War, then two more months until the slaves in Texas knew that they were free, and they probably didn't know they were facing another century of Jim Crow and segregation. Talk about a rough crossing in life. Around our world, um, uh, uh, refugees and immigrants crossing borders and mountain ranges and oceans uh, to escape danger to, or to seek something better. A lot of rough crossings. And then there are ones that you just have to laugh at a little bit. I read recently that one American company is, is in serious financial duress, and the reason for that is they sell Snuggies. And they only get two shipments of them a year, and they come from China. And, and one of those shipments right now is sitting where? At the Suez Canal, because it was on that ship that got stuck in the canal, and now Egypt has impounded the ship until like everything's paid for. And so all of those Snuggies are sitting there, and they cannot be sold here in the United States. A very rough crossing. They happen all the times in life. Sometimes they are huge. Sometimes they are little. This gets us to today's gospel lesson, which is both a spiritual and literal rough crossing. We read all this here from Mark's gospel. Mark's stories are, he has fewer stories in his gospel, but always told in a bit more detail than Matthew and Luke who build on Mark's gospel. So this particular story is in all three of those gospels, but Mark's includes some really significant details that, that apparently Luke and Matthew edit out because they, they, they have other things that they want to convey, but Mark definitely knew what he wanted to convey with some of his details. So some of the things that are unique to Mark is that um, this isn't just the experience of the disciples and Jesus in one watercraft. Uh, Mark tells us that like, it's a whole flotilla crossing the Sea of Galilee. It's a, it's a group experience. Mark also includes kind of the, the, the interesting detail that once they get going, Jesus falls asleep in the stern, unique to Mark, on a cushion, unique to Mark. If he could have had a Snuggie, I'm pretty sure Jesus would have put that on as well, but he's asleep in the stern on a cushion. 
most significantly, though, is something Mark kind of slides in at the beginning when he, he refers to the disciples and says, they took Jesus with them just as he was. And I think that has a double meaning, both his simplicity, Jesus didn't travel with a lot of stuff, he traveled light, he came just as he was, and it probably also has the meaning that Jesus was a carpenter's son. He wasn't a fisherman. He wasn't used to being on the water. In a sense, he's kind of dead weight on this journey, but they take him along with them just as he was. Then the storm strikes. Uh, I, I think people always benefit from the perspective that we share with our confirmation kids, which is the surface area of the Sea of Galilee is about the same as the surface area of Lake Winnebago here in Wisconsin. So if you've seen that lake, you have a sense of the body of water that they would have been on. Very sadly, this last spring, something happened, which seems to happen on Lake Winnebago frequently, which is two people went out in a canoe, uh, capsized, and were drowned. And so the idea of storms coming up and waves being large enough to swamp a small vessel, uh, it happens still in our world. It was happening in today's Bible story. Uh, they almost certainly would have been in a fairly low-profile low boat with probably a pretty round bottom. You put that in big waves, uh, and you've got some water coming in and the possibility of capsizing. The disciples were afraid. It was a rough crossing. Step away from that story for just a little bit. We seem to live in a world right now that's just filled with rough crossings. Everything seems really hard and contentious and, and absorbs a ton of our energy. And, and summer got here at just the right time again because we can all just kind of escape it for a little while. But I think we're all knowing that we're kind of escaping at some level. There are still parts of the rough crossing ahead of us. Um, now, if you step away from our historical moment to look at us in a broader sense, it, it's, it's a little bit puzzling, at least as to why we're so contentious in that when you think of where we happen to live, we live in relative peace. We live in relative prosperity, amazing medical care, amazing technology, amazing knowledge, uh, just amazing everything. Previous generations would look at us and say, you guys are like living in heaven. <laughs> what gives with you guys? Um, but you, you live when you live, and, and things make sense within the context of with when we live. Uh, and the Bible understands this too. And I, I think possibly an explanation for, for why things are so hard right now, even when a lot of things are objectively good uh, around us, is, is that we're just human beings. And as human beings, we tend to get a little bit self-absorbed, and that's a fearful place to be in life. The Bible gets this from its first stories. Adam and Eve, they wanted to do what they wanted to do. Um, they were a little bit self-absorbed. Um, the, the, the chief priests wanting to get rid of Jesus after he overturns the tables of the money changers in the temple. That messed up their system. They didn't want anybody doing that. They wanted to do what they wanted to do. Maybe, maybe the best illustration of this is Jesus' own words. You, you can't serve God and mammon is how it gets literally kind of translated. And people always think wealth, but wealth is, is too narrow an understanding of the, the Greek word mammon. Uh, 
I, I guess the analogy I think of is boa constrictor. In, in other words, uh, in our material world, the material isn't the problem, it's our attachment to it and kind of obsession about it, and it becomes like that boa who encircles you and then squeezes you, and you, you, you don't even know you're in it until you are, and then maybe it's too late. We can get really self-absorbed, and material stuff adds to that pressure, and, and then we want to protect it and preserve it, and then that's when we become afraid. Now I'll go back to the story. Go back to that crucial line that Bar concludes. They took Jesus with them just as he was. He didn't have a lot of material stuff. And in this situation, he didn't have a lot of expertise either. And interestingly, what happens? He's the only one who's not afraid. He doesn't have to protect the material stuff. He doesn't have to live up to a certain reputation. He can just be in God's hands, and he can just be with those disciples. Interestingly, they're in a totally different situation. What do they do when they find out that they're taken on water? They could have gone back to Jesus and said, um, hey, Jesus, you know, could you, like, move a little bit forward, be a little bit more centered, maybe help us bail a little water out of this boat? They could have been kind of calm about it. Uh, and they could have been focused on his welfare in that situation. But no, they come to him and say, Lord, what are you sleeping for? We're perishing. And when they say we're, they kind of mean the big me, I'm perishing. Would you please do something about it? How come you're not panicked like us? And Jesus rebukes the storm. Rebuke is a kind of a hard word. He's a little upset with the storm, but I don't think he's upset with the storm. I think he's upset with his own disciples and this flotilla of people who are with him because they'd become a bunch of individuals by themselves. And they had forgotten that they were a community and they could have been together in that moment. So he rebukes the storm and then he says, what are you afraid for? Have some faith. Faith is the opposite of fear. It doesn't get desperate about what we hold or who we are because it's focused on a God who loves us and neighbors who are there for us in the first place. It is the great antidote to being afraid and also the great antidote to being self-absorbed. We could all use a little injection of faith these days. The thing is, uh, none of us does this by ourselves. All of us fail at it at certain points. We all have our own little weaknesses. That's why being part of a faith family is so valuable. The less we are, in a sense, spiritually alone, the more faithful we can be over time. Uh, we're all human. Uh, Jesus lifts us to a higher plane, and that's where we want to live, right? Let me leave you with this last uh, kind of nautical example of how it happens when you're in a faith community. So, like, Seven years ago, we took our high school kids on one of our Boundary Waters trips and just hit a ton of rain. Three years later, we go on another Boundary Waters trip, and we're hitting not as much rain, but we're hitting quite a bit of rain. And it gets to be about the fifth day of the trip, and we're at a point in our journey where we're going through this small lake, and we encounter a couple of beaver dams. And when you encounter beaver dams in a small lake, you've got to get out of your canoe. The water's in the mud's usually up to here, and you've got to lift your canoe over this beaver dam. Meanwhile, a thunderstorm is coming. I'm in the third canoe. I'm usually in the back, kind of keep my eye on, on the, coo the canoes ahead of us. And I'm riding in the middle so, you know, the kids are able to paddle. And 
and the thunderstorm arrives and it starts to pour. It's raining again and it's cold and the canoe is slowly filling with water and I'm sitting there getting wetter and wetter watching all of this stuff going on around me. I was having a little pity party. Then one of the adults in the group, Julie Lawrence, just stands out and starts screaming and singing at the top of her lungs, lifting her canoe over the top of this beaver dam with plenty of energy. The whole group, pretty soon they're screaming and singing as well. And even I, in the midst of my pity party, suddenly realize this isn't such a rough crossing after all. Let's get over this beaver dam and keep going. It's a little thing, people of God, and sometimes life's rough crossings are far more complex and difficult than that. Just saying, if you're part of a flotilla, remember you're together. Remember not to be afraid. Remember to depend on the one who connects us back to each other and gives us a path forward. It makes the rough crossings passable. Where's, where's, your, where's your faith? Don't be afraid his word to you, to me, to all. Let's listen, hey?